The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. In the headlines, FedEx shares plunge in after-hours trade as the shipping giant issues its second profit warning in three months, citing, quote, significant challenges and changes. President Trump sets his sights on a new trading partner as Representative Robert Lighthizer says the United States wants to slash its trade deficit with Europe and may hike tariffs on EU goods. The pound extends its slide against the dollar on fresh fears of a cliff-edged Brexit after the UK sets a December 2020 deadline for trade talks with the EU and a move called too rigid by the bloc's top commissioner. The boards of Fiat Chrysler and PSA reportedly both greenlight a $50 billion mega-merger that would create the world's fourth-largest carmaker. So we kick off the program this morning talking about FedEx shares. The shares plunged in extended trade after the company missed second quarter estimates and issued its second profit warning for fiscal 2020. The disappointing figures come as the shipping giant grapples with trade tensions and the fallout from cutting ties with Amazon. CNBC's Eric Kemi has more. It was a disappointing quarter for FedEx. CEO Fred Smith acknowledged in the release that the company's fiscal 2020 is, quote, a year of continued significant challenges and changes. The company missed on the top and bottom lines, citing weak global economic conditions, increased FedEx ground costs, the loss of business from Amazon, a shift to lower yielding services, a more competitive pricing environment and a late holiday shopping season. Looking ahead, the company is reducing its guidance to reflect lower-than-expected revenue and higher-than-expected expenses. FedEx is also implementing reductions to its Global Express Air Network and restricting hiring, all to help improve productivity and better match capacity with demand. For example, FedEx is eliminating many of its international flights to reflect reduced global air freight demand. The after-hours move now means FedEx is negative for 2019. Eric Chemi, CNBC Business News. Uh, well, let's uh, just pick up on that very briefly. Um, I think this is extraordinary. So adjusted earnings will be no more than $11.50 per share in the fiscal year ending May, down from the previous expectation of as much as $13. Um, the Deutsche analyst on this said, quote, these are breathtakingly bad adjustments. Mm. And they are the more remarkable, given that we watch this migration to e-commerce. And our expectation is that people will be uh, beneficiaries of this are the delivery companies, services like FedEx. So I think double whammy as we run into the end of the year here, that this business is in particular having issues around air cargo and the ground delivery unit. It's the right points to hit, isn't it, uh, whether this is a precursor to some sort of a, a earnings downgrade for other stocks at this point, because Wall Street was sitting in the middle of the target range at around $12 per share was its expectation. So the range 11 to 13, smack bang in the middle. So not overly confident or overly pessimistic, you've got to say, in terms of that expectation. So now with the, the move south on the guidance to as little as 10.25, if you hit the lower bound, you've got to say that uh, analysts were and truly out of the money on those expectations. So will we see more of that as we progress towards that February reporting season for some of the
the big Wall Street names because of what's transpired around trade war, slowdown domestically and internationally. The other big point, I think, has been the disruption that we're seeing locally in the, the US market, Amazon. And you may recall that these two companies were friends. They were operating together and the rollout and the success of logistics for Amazon. Part of that story was also FedEx. But now, swiftly, you've seen Amazon try to build out its business and have control over the whole process. And that means that one-time friend is now, uh, now a foe. And effectively, the air service contract, that didn't continue with FedEx. Also, the, the end of uh, home delivery for Amazon packages in the States, that also fell by the wayside. So if you think about all that spare capacity that uh, FedEx might have been working on at the same time when it had this crunch coming end of year because it had a much quicker turnaround between Thanksgiving and trying to deliver packages for Christmas this time, it might have been gearing up. So I think a lot of extra capacity coming into the mix when it was probably banking on just using some of that extra demand. Yeah, there is a big question mark, I think. I mean, uh, you talked about um, maybe the prospects being a little brighter moving into next year. And I know Fred Smith on the call was very optimistic, suggesting that actually the strategies that they're implementing to improve the earnings here will come through in 2020. But I think, you know, the other headline that we read this morning, number two, was uh, President Trump now talking about uh, tariffs on EU products here. And when you look at the numbers, it's fairly clear that there is an argument for the president to take a good look at the EU. 2018, the uh, US enjoyed a deficit in goods with the EU of $169 billion here. If the trade dispute with China has been cited as one of the arguments why this number wasn't as good as it could have been for FedEx, boy, if we're going to have a trade war through 2020, difficult to make the case that that rebound could be as strong as Fred Smith is hoping for. Yeah, it's a good point. Very global international businesses is what we're talking about when we talk about delivery firms at this point. Uh, let's push on and talk about uh, some of the other big trade ructions. After securing trade agreements with China and its North American neighbours, the US is now ready to ramp up its confrontation with the EU. That's according to US Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer. He told Fox Business News America's, quote, very unbalanced relationship could see it increase the $7.5 billion in tariffs it imposed on Europe following a dispute over aircraft subsidies. The United States' trade deficit with the EU was around $169 billion in 2018. Lighthizer said it expected that to rise to $180 billion this year. Uh, President Trump has renewed his criticism of Federal Reserve policy, tweeting, quote, uh, it would be so great if the Fed would further lower interest rates and QE. That's as two Fed officials reiterated their backing of the current uh, central bank stance. Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan said he had penciled in no changes to rates for 2020, while Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren said there was little chance of a downturn and no need for rate cuts in the near term. Well, the former Fed chair, Alan Greenspan, has criticised President Trump's ongoing attacks on the central bank in an exclusive CNBC interview. It's wrong even discussing the issue. Uh, the Federal Reserve is a very professional outfit. They know more about how the economy is functioning, how it affects the money markets and the interest rate structure far more than he does. And the best thing, as I've told my colleagues on numerous occasions, former colleagues, I should say, on numerous occasions, that the best thing to do is just disregard it. I didn't hear this morning that he 
made that the president made a statement. I don't. I, I'm sure it was ill-advised. Uh, Mr. Greenspan there talking about how ill-advised President Trump's criticism of the Federal Reserve is at this point. Um, Let's uh, catch up with uh, John Johnson. He is uh, Senior Portfolio Manager for Global Fixed Income at Neuberger Berman. Um, Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Welcome. Um, Let's just start off with, um, if I might, asking you how uh, attractive or otherwise you see the market for fixed income at the moment. Obviously, much less so than at the beginning of this year. What a stunning year. Uh, obviously, we had so many factors uh, helping bonds this year. You know, accommodation that we haven't seen for many years. Uh, close to 60 central banks easing monetary policy. Uh, significant tightening, uh, easing, uh, inflation expectation coming down, growth sort of bottoming. And, and valuation is quite attractive at the beginning of the year. Now, obviously, after that, we face a very different world where you know, valuations, you could argue, are getting much tighter in credit sectors and yields are very low. Uh, so we see opportunities in fixed income, but it's, it's not going to be the same easy as 2019 was. Uh, so where we're looking for opportunities, we still see credit markets uh, attractive uh, or you know, much less than, than at the beginning of the year. Safe assets, we are more cautious on. Uh, you know, what we saw in 2019 was unusual in the fact that we had positive correlation between safe assets and risky assets. Uh, so that obviously gives you very strong returns. If those correlations don't hold up, you may have, a, you know, what we're cautious about is the long end of government bonds in U.S. and Europe, uh, but more comfortable with risky assets. So you've got to be very careful how to structure your portfolio. Let, Hit, me ask you, yeah. let me ask you which side of the intellectual f- fence you sit on. I, I listen to Jeffrey Gunlat, yes. who, who tells me that we may be going back to two and a half, three, four percent on the 10 year in the near term. Well, I say near term, probably yeah. next 18 months or so. And then there's the other side of the argument, which says, you know what, this is uh, the slow, gradual stagnation mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, a, a lot of intellectual bears have been calling for. And the best thing you could do right now f- with your money is park it in the two-year treasury, waiting for that zero that we'll eventually get to as um, the Federal Reserve um, has to react to increasing stagnation in the U.S. economy. Which side of the fence do you sit on? Which of those uh, um, outcomes is more likely over the next 18 months, two years in your view? I think 4% is very ambitious, so I'm not in that camp. Uh, but, you know, I well, think... On the 10-year, obviously. Yeah, on the 10-year. Uh, but, you know, I think the 10-year could move higher. Uh, you know, certainly a lot depends on how the economy shakes out, but I would expect the 10-year to move higher. Uh, we have positioned for higher 10s. On the front end, twos, I, I think you could be quite safe, because the Fed is not hiking, and they've given set a very high bar for any hiking. So in the next 18 months, for them to be moving into hiking again is unlikely unless we get really a strong boost of confidence and you get CapEx going again and, and ultimately the Fed will uh, move into a hiking bias. Uh, so t- twos are anchored in that part. Uh, tens, there's a lot of, there's almost no risk premium in tens. You have no inflation risk premium. If inflation were to gradually move higher, ultimately that's the goal for the Fed. They want to push inflation expectations higher and actually see inflation move higher. I think that would make the long end much more 
exposed uh, and could shift higher. And you get that inflation risk premium built in and, and the term premium that we talk about, which are both negative at this stage. So, so I think the risks are very asymmetric. You're much better in the front end because you know you're protected from a uh, you know, Fed on hold with a bias to ease if, if we have a shock to growth and slowdown. But the long end is much more difficult to say, you know, valuations are tight and, and I would say it's asymmetric. You're right. not being compensated much more for taking risk intense. John, we spent all this year watching the data and the response from the central bank and the response from President Trump. Next year from the outset could be very different because already there's talk about changing the stats. So yeah. as we try and determine what the predictions will be for GDP, you've already got the Commerce Department looking at whether the stats are right, whether it reflects the amount of income and the distribution across the United States. Here in Europe, no different. The conversations taking place at the ECB about whether housing data should be included in the inflation projections are taking into account that, that impact. So what do you make of next year in terms of whether the stats simply get changed and whether we have a bit more uncertainty for the Fed and for those trying to predict the economic welfare of the country? Yeah, no, I think it's a very good point. And I think this could increase volatility and expectations will have episodes of volatility, you know, similar to what we saw in Q4 2018, because the central banks have indicated they're on, on hold. The bar is quite high for them to move in either direction now. So the markets, if there is any wobble in growth or inflation is picking up, the market will get, likely you'll get episodes of high anxiety because central banks are on hold. And we have those, yeah, like you said, ECB doing their strategic review. They're comfortable with policy mix. I think it takes a lot for them to ease more. Uh, there is hesitation on that, and the same for U.S., uh, the Fed on hold. So market having no support function and a lot of talk about fiscal stimulus taking over and, and being the one thing uh, to stimulate growth. Uh, you know, but I think that's a slow moving and market will get frustrated because it will be slow. So rewatching the rules, changing the criteria could be one to watch in 2020. Yeah. John, thank you very much. We'll continue the conversation in just a bit. Our US colleagues will also be speaking to New York Fed President John Williams at 1650 CET, so be sure to tune in for that conversation on the Fed. Boeing's decision to halt production of its 737 MAX plane has created shockwaves in the aerospace sector. However, some analysts say the effects may reach far beyond the industry, hitting U.S. economic growth in the first quarter. CNBC's Steve Leesman has more in his, this report. It may be hard to imagine, but economists estimate that Boeing's decision to halt production of the 737 MAX can lower overall U.S. economic growth in the first quarter and maybe do so measurably. The negative effects, they estimate, could be even larger than last year's government shutdown. Forecasters at both J.P. Morgan and Oxford Economics say the production halt could shave as much as a half a point off of first quarter growth. Problem is that the first quarter outlook was already looking weak. Now it could come in closer to 1% instead of 1.6. That will make it one of the weakest quarters in years. Growth is expected to rebound when production returns, but when that happens is an open question. At this point, you know, we're facing a situation where you're going to have probably about 450 aircraft in inventory because Boeing will finish producing currently the, the aircraft in process now. The international regulators still have to act. And while we assume that, you know, Europe might be relatively soon after the United States, uh, who knows when, when the Chinese and other, other major markets may look to, uh, to obviously fall in line. For now, Boeing has said it won't lay off any of the 12,000 workers who build the 737 MAX. But if the stoppage grinds on, suppliers might find it tough to hold the line on jobs, and eventually, Boeing could as well. Steve Leisman, CNBC Business News.
A uh, record for the fourth straight session for the S&P 500. But that said, not much in the way of percentage gains. Again, barely any movement uh, by the time we closed up shop. But not to, of course, uh, mention the fact that we had some intraday highs and we shouldn't dismiss that. But still, if you look at the finishing part of these markets for a couple of sessions, there's been not much appetite to leave too much money parked on the table. So just an element of caution coming back into the mix on markets. U.S. housing starts surprisingly strong in November. You saw building permits also pick up to the highest level since May 2007. Some of those factors are quite positive for market confidence as a bellwether for the consumer. But a big focus too on earnings and FedEx after hours somewhat disappointing for a lot of investors. And that's now the big, the big threat as we go into next year, whether you start to see revisions in the corporates. Also, just a quick shout out to sentiment. We saw the Bank of America Global Research Survey of fund managers also show some improving sentiment that recession is now unlikely in 2020, according to 68% of those investors. So that's important as we start to digest those ramifications again of a phase one trade deal and what it could mean for sentiment in the economy. I want to take it to the dollar. There's been uh, fading fortunes for sterling. That's been somewhat supportive of the overall dollar mix. Uh, and if we just take stock this morning, dollar climbing versus the yuan, not much appetite for safe havens and that's destroyed the, the yen trade at this point. In terms of what we're looking at on these two, so sterling has been unwinding fairly aggressively from the exit poll level of 135 we had after the UK election to the wash up from uh, the result right back down to this 131.08 handle this morning and euro just also suffering a little bit on the back foot with concerns that we could still be witnessing uh, the possibility of a cliff edge scenario around Brexit. So uh, the market you can see just starting to reprice a little bit around uh, the foreign exchange markets. In terms of Asia, we've been tracking around 18 month peaks on uh, some of these markets. So Bit of a drift taking place into the session today as we wait for more details again around trade. Just fading for Hong Kong and the Chinese markets. Shenzhen, the exception, uh, the Tokyo stock market down by 114 points. So I want to take to the opening calls because that movement in pound has been a, a challenging one for the FTSE 100 stocks to navigate at this point. And you've seen a pretty strong rally in recent sessions. Yesterday, just a little bit of green on top. Not a lot of it, but just a little bit. As you saw that weakness in sterling elsewhere, we've got uh, signals that are negative for the DAX down 25, also 9 to the uh, downside for the Italian market, slight green arrow for French stocks. So a little bit choppy at the start. Thanks very much, Karen. Um, let's uh, just run you into the break then and we're back in a moment. So don't go too far away from the programme. Sterling surrenders its post-election gains on fresh fears of a hard Brexit. The Prime Minister's plans ahead. And just a reminder, if you cannot see the programme on any particular day, we do run a podcast so you can tune in and catch up on all the views, opinions and news by heading to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever finer podcasts are found. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out The Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, The Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse.
We're back. Sterling has erased its post-election gains and is still under pressure. This is British Prime Minister Boris Johnson moves to outlaw an extension of the Brexit transition period beyond December 2020. The hard deadline means UK and EU negotiators will have less than 11 months to hammer out a trade deal. Well, that ought to focus some minds, didn't it? Uh, European Commission Vice President Valdis Dombrovskis called the move too rigid. British lawmakers will vote on an amended withdrawal agreement bill this Friday. Speaking to MPs in the first common session since the election, Johnson said the new, quote, vastly improved parliament would deliver Brexit quickly. This parliament is not going to waste the time of the nation in deadlock and division and delay. On Friday of this week, this parliament is going to put the withdrawal agreement... Friday? In the, in the, in the pop-dipping, as we say in, in Wales. And then this new democratic parliament, this people's parliament, is going to do something, Mr Speaker. The opposition Labour Party is still licking its wounds. At a meeting of MPs, leader Jeremy Corbyn said he took responsibility for the election defeat and promised to stand down in the new year. But Corbyn faced criticism and anger from colleagues, with some laying the blame for the loss firmly at his door. SP has raised the UK's outlook to stable from negative following Boris Johnson's win. The ratings agency says the Prime Minister won't stick to his end of 2020 deadline for an EU trade deal. Uh, it's a quick look at how we're trading across the gilt curve this hour. Uh, let's get back to John Johnson, a senior portfolio manager at um, Global Fixed Income, uh, Neuberger Berman. Um, uh, John, let's um, pick up with you on, on some of these topics then. Um, the, wh what do you think the value is in the gilt curve at the moment? The gilt market is, uh, is, is tricky at this point. Uh, you know, we're, you know, we would say, you know, we would take short position on gilt. Uh, we do not have a lot of positioning in UK at all. There's been a lot of uncertainty. We've found better opportunities outside of UK, and that's the sort of downside of this uncertainty that we have had for a long time. Uh, but ultimately, we think, uh, you know, we take a negative view on governments and guilt, and, and we're, you know, fairly neutral on the currency, slightly tilted to, towards short. Uh, we, Split picture from the ratings agencies on the chance of a, a no-deal Brexit at this point and what the risks still are around the UK. So you've got S&P expecting a no-deal Brexit at the end of the year would be avoided. Effectively, more time would be asked if required. And Fitch is still saying a cliff-edge scenario exists around Brexit still. So what do you do in terms of pricing if you're looking at the fixed income market or other asset classes? What do you think the risk is of a, a hard Brexit, a no-deal Brexit at this point? You know, I, I would agree that, you know, uh, pushing it through a hard Brexit is unlikely. You know, we have, he has a strong majority. He has a, a potential to have a five-year government that could be stable, built his legacy. And I think he will want to build his legacy on this. Uh, so I, I would be say, say it's unlikely, but there will be episodes of anxiety, you know. And I think the strategy is obviously they want to take some short-term pain to build for more long-term gain. But that takes a lot of anxiety, and, and I, I think there will be volatility in UK market and sterling. Uh, so therefore, you know, for us, we prefer assets outside of UK because of this. Uh, but, but ultimately, it's good news that we got, you know, we have a stable government that should be able to push this through. And, and, and but negotiating a trade deal is going to be very difficult, and and and, and will take a long time.
The, um, uh, the inflation data today is set to suggest that we, we might see a, a little bit of a dip, 1.4% uh, uh, from 1.5% in October, but core likely to be about 1.7% here. Inflation has not really been a problem in developed market economies, yeah. and yet there are concerns, I think, that we're seeing wages pick up, and that may begin to increase domestic-led inflation. Is it worth owning some linkers or some tips, either in the UK or the United States, at this point? Yeah, no, we, we have built up position in tips. Uh, they became extremely cheap uh, towards the end of uh, 2019, sort of three months ago. So we've positioned for it. We think it's a good hedge and a cheap asset class. So a very strong combination to have in your portfolio. We've built up a significant position over 10%. Inflation is underpriced. There's a lot of complacency on inflation. Uh, we think it's a good hedge because if inflation were to continue to creep up, we've seen wages in Europe, in US, UK and other places move up. Uh, if that starts to move into consumer prices and they start to move up, you will have to completely change your view on uh, central bank policy. And that will be very disruptive and therefore a good, good thing to own. It's cheap and it, it provides good protection. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.